This week, we had at, our, at the Hennigan house a light issue. One of, the, one of our, our spare room's light, uh, the light bulb wouldn't turn on. So Steve Aldrich was kind enough to come to our place and to uh, check on the matter. So he went into the room and what I thought would was a switch issue because the, the house is 40 years old and the, the switch was loose. Um, he changed the switch and we realized that it wasn't a switch issue. Well, I checked the light bulb, I checked, I checked the breaker, and he walked up and he observed the fixture and he pulled the light and the light turned on. <laughs> and so um, I'm thankful that, that Steve came over to our house and, and fixed it. And we were, we were so embarrassed that he came over just to turn on the light in that way. But he said that he enjoyed the company. So thank you, <laughs> Steve. Um, but what does light do? Light illumines things. When Steve pulled that chain, it illumined to me that I didn't uh, go through all the proper steps to figure out what was wrong with the light bulb. Light enables us to see different objects or to see different people in a room. It, it allowed Rachel and I to enjoy uh, the spare bedroom at nighttime. It is interesting that the Gospel of John talks about light as well. We see it in the beginning of the book. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, it says this about Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, or he was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him. Not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Since the beginning of this scripture, we have seen that Jesus is the light of the world. Everything that this, right, that this light would come to, it would expose what it was ever in that space or in that room. The light of Christ not only exposed places and realms, but it also exposed people as well. We see this light of Christ expose the significance of these Jewish ceremonial pots in a wedding feast. He demonstrates that these man-made traditional ceremonial pots were to be disregarded because this light then in return takes these pots that were used for ceremonial cleansing and uses them for a celebratory act. He put wine in these, in these vats. The light of Christ also exposed what was happening in the temple. We see the light of Christ as this temple enters this physical temple. No one was bothered by the situation, but the light of Christ speaks out and says, why have you turned this house of prayer, this house of worship, into a house of commerce? The light exposed the darkness in the temple. When Jesus talked with Nicodemus, who came from night, Nicodemus comes to the light and realizes that he is exposed as well. Jesus exposes his very heart 
showing that a true Israelite is not one who is based on or contingent on physical birth or heritage in being born into a Jewish family, but it is contingent on a heart transformation that happens through the power of the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. Which leads us to our main point today. We see that the light of Christ not only exposes the religious and the political realms, the light of Christ exposes our very hearts as well. So the main point is this, this morning. The light of Christ exposes the thoughts, motivations, and identity of everyone it meets. Point number one, first we see that the light of Christ exposes the thoughts of John's disciples. We see this in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to a Judean country where he spent time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one who you testified about, the one who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. So here in this scene, we see Jesus and his disciples on one side of this body of water and John and his disciples on the other. John's disciples were having a bad week. They got into this argument with this random Jew about ceremonial washings, ultimately pointing to the very purpose of the reason of why they're even baptizing. You see, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and they are, being, they are doing this baptism that causes people to come to repentance, to realize that the king of glory is here. It is a type of purification of the heart that would then be able to receive this kingdom of light. John's disciples were having a bad day, not only because of this 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 conversation that would make them question their even their very purpose of what they're doing and why they're doing it. But they were probably also disheartened by the fact that their ministry was dwindling. They saw less and less people. Where were those people going to? On the other side of the Jordan. They saw Tons of people following after Christ, no longer following after them. You can see it in verse 26 in this very hyperbolic statement where they say, Rabbi, everyone is going to him. Can you imagine the range of emotions that they would have felt? Feelings of confusion, anxiety, or despair that makes them grapple with their very, the very meaning of their existence, the very meaning of the, their calling that they believe God has called them to. 
they may have thought, are we on a sinking ship? When business was booming, they were elated and they were excited because everyone was following the teachings of their rabbi. Droves and droves of people would come to them. But then one day, when John the Baptist saw the man who then walked in and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, they started to see a decrease of their own ministry. Their ministry became smaller and smaller. The once excited ministry that the, 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 the disciples of, of John were a part of was now almost brought to a complete stop. There may have been even a sense of bitterness or discontentment or maybe even competition with Jesus and his disciples. They may have thought, why is that crowd getting bigger than ours? Yet the light of Christ exposes their their self-oriented thoughts. And I was, as I read a commentary, I was able to glean the heart of the matter and how it, ex- it speaks all to, also to us at this very moment. We as people are bent on advancing our own interests. We tend to be most concerned about our reputation and our well-being This is where our envy and strife come from. We want to be glorified. We want to be admired. Otherwise, why would we even worry whether someone else becomes prominent than we are? We want to acquire high position and riches and worldly luxuries. If not, then why are we so anxious when these things are threatened? The light of Christ on the other side of the Jordan exposed the hearts of these disciples. Secondly, we see that the light of Christ exposes the motivation of John the Baptist. Verse 27, John responded, No one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah but I've been sent ahead of him. You see, the light of Christ that exposed John's disciples of looking outwardly was the same light that exposed that John was looking not outwardly, but upward. He was not anxious about his own ministry. In fact, the text shows that he had true and genuine joy in what was happening at that very moment. He wanted his disciples to remember, didn't didn't I tell you since the beginning of my ministry that it was never about me? I was always pointing to one who was to come. I was the one who was to prepare the way of the Lord. I was supposed to point to him. Again, I I gleaned from another author who speaks to the very roots of the issue that we see pitted against John and his disciples. He says, 
One reason we are not humble is that we have not experienced greatness. We have not encountered majesty. So in our own ignorance and lack of experience, we begin to think that we are grander and greater than we truly are. We begin to overestimate our own importance. Here we see on this side of the Jordan River that there are two different motivations at play. One is self-oriented. The other one is Christ-oriented. John here sees true greatness, true majesty, true authority, true incomparability in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 29, he talks about this new relation that this new relationship, not only as the Lamb of God, but as something else. He says, He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. I never saw that phrase, he must increase and and I must decrease in the context of a marriage. We see this marriage metaphor seen throughout all of scripture, even beginning in the Old Testament where it talks about Israel that is called to be this loyal bride to King Yahweh. In fact, John and his ministry was to prepare this bride with loyalty and fidelity, and he did this all with joy. And as the best man, it was inconceivable for him to even think the way that that his disciples were thinking, because he's the best man. And his best friend is the groom. He was preparing this bride for his best friend. Why would he take that glory away from Christ, who is the king of glory? Let me paint this picture for you. Let us imagine for a moment that we are part of this wedding today. The guests are seated. And then you see all the different parents that that are at play. Father Abraham with Sarah. Moses and Zipporah take their seat. King David and Bathsheba also sit along with all the prophets. And then you see the best man, John the Baptist, walk in with the groom. Then suddenly this musical processional pauses for a brief moment. The doors open wide and the bride with all her glory walks down the aisle. Everything at this moment is still. Nothing Nothing else matters at this very moment except for the bride and the groom. Now, what does this mean for us as Christians today? I think it has some implications and applications for we for us as Christians for us as mothers and fathers for us as even pastors and teachers as well you see we are called not to point to ourselves we are not called to point to our own giftings our own personality 
our own possessions, our own fame, our own success. Not to us, not to us, but to Christ's name be the glory. And everything that, that diverts the attention that should be pointed to Christ is egregious, is sinful, is adulterous. It is unheard of. And that's what Paul, or that's, that's what John, John saw at that very, very moment, is that he must increase and, and, and John the Baptist must decrease. And that is the heart and mentality that John the Baptist had. And that is also the very heart in, in, our very, in the way that we speak our words and the way that we live our lives, everything that we communicate must say, as John said, he must increase, I must decrease. So first, the light of Christ exposes the thoughts of the, of the disciples. Secondly, we see that the light of Christ expose, exposes the me, me, motivation of John. And lastly, we see that the light of Christ exposes who Christ truly is. I've heard a lot of uh, different wedding speeches. I've heard good ones and I've heard bad ones. But here, the best man gives his public speech about the groom. He talks about why he must increase. Jesus must increase because he is far more superior, far greater trustworthy, all authoritative and life-giving. The light of Christ exposes the glory of who he is. We see that he is all superior, as the best man says in verse 31, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks of earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. Notice that the text does not say that he is above some or above many, but above all. He is over President Joe Biden of the United States. He is over Xi Jinping of China or Kim Jong-un of North Korea or President Vladimir Putin of Russia. He is above all kings and all rulers and all politicians in all realms and all times and all places and all spaces. He is above all forces and above all heavenly beings. That is the reason why Christ must increase and everything on earth must decrease. He is superior, but he is also trustworthy. Verse 32, he testifies to what he has seen and heard. And yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. You see, John communicates that the testimony of Christ is more trustworthy than any other relationship that we have on this earth. Think about the trustworthy relationships that you have. Maybe it's with a parent or with one of your good friends. 
I found that people could confide into different uh, uh, teachers or pastors or mentors or counselors or therapists or even doctors. And to know that the things that you're saying to them, that, that what they give you is good advice. <laughs> and what they give you is not to hurt you, is, is, is words to heal you and not to hurt you. And yet Jesus is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. He is a greater counselor that we could confide in. His word speaks a truer, life-giving word than any other therapist can give. We could trust every single word that proceeds out of his mouth. He will never steer us wrong, and all his words give us life. Number three, he is also authoritative. Verse 34, for the one whom God sent speaks God's words. Since he gives the spirit without measure, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. Jesus knows how to wield his authority. He is not an authoritarian as, as we see today where people abuse their authority. He is a good and kind king and bridegroom. He is gentle, and he is compassionate. He is the type of king that we would all want to be ruled by. He is the type of groom that we all want to be married to. Number four, he is the type of king that gives us life. Verse 36, the one who believes in the son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. I want to focus on one word in, in that verse, and it is the word remains. We see this word all throughout the book of John, and what that tells me is that there is a present aspect to the reality that John is speaking to today. It says that the wrath of God for all those who are rejecting Christ, even this very day, the wrath of God remains on them. Mirroring this, we should also see a reality for all those who are believing in Christ that this life remains on them. There's two remainings in this room at this very moment. There is a remaining, people who are remaining in life. And there are people who are continuing to remain under the wrath of God. Now, it took me a, a prayerful moment, a moment to think about how to express this type of reality. I'd like to liken it to the sun, the S-U-N, the sun outside and the light that it gives. We, we bask in the sun. We, we, we love its warmth. It gives us health. It, it gives us nutrients. And it also gives us a sense of peace and serenity. However, to reject the light of Christ is like a person 
who rejects the Son. Hypothetically speaking, if we could distance away ourselves from the Son, let's say we would distance ourselves away just a degree away from the Son every single day, we would see a continual, continual but slow and gradual difference. Our reality would change. We wouldn't die instantly, but we would slowly, the world would slowly and gradually become colder and colder. The world all around us would continue to go become darker and darker. And the things that we enjoy here in this earth, the food that we eat, and the nutrients that, that we need wouldn't be able to be sustained. The plants won't get the nutrients. The animals that, that we, we enjoy and that we eat won't get the life that it needs. And as, as we distance our, ourselves away from the sun, it slowly leads to our death. In the same way when we inject, re reject the warmth of the light of Christ. We, don't, we do not die instantly, but we will slowly deteriorate. And as we learned in Romans 1, we become less and less human. The things that we run after that think will cause us to have life ultimately lead to our demise and lead to our, our death. Those lies that we commit, those lies that we commit to, we have to remember those lies so we could continue to build on them. Or that, that, um, that rule that we, we just decide not, not to keep and we decide to go our own way, it may give us life for a short time, but ultimately we realize that God was wise in putting that that rule in place. He does it for our good, not for our detriment. Our King of glory, this bridegroom, wants us to come and receive the embrace of his warmth. The type of warmth that is expressed in Numbers chapter six where it says, may the Lord bless you and protect you May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord have his favor on you and give you peace. May we come to that warm embrace in Christ. In conclusion, I know that today is Father's Day, and we all know that it is appropriate to say happy Father's Day to our fathers out there, and I'm thankful for those who greeted me this morning in that way. But I also want to point out that Father's Day is not always a very happy Father's Day for many people who are sitting in this room today. I think of my situation with my brothers and sisters. It's really confusing. You see, my, my mom and dad, there's no secret. They're, they're separated right now. And I think about my mom and my, my brothers and sisters and the confusion that they have this Father's Day. Thinking about 
whether I should call my dad and say happy Father's Day or not. Um, I know that there are people in this room who are struggling with the, with the same thing because as they think about their father, maybe they're emotionally distant. Maybe they felt like they had to live their life in such a way to receive their father's love and they never were able to grasp the love of their own father. They were never enough. I think of the wives in this room who are, are now distant emotionally from their husbands because of their husband's emotional abuse or emotional distancing to follow after other things. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that we have a loving and perfect bridegroom. You never have to second guess the love that he gives. He loves unconditionally. He is the type of bridegroom that we all want to be married to. He is the type of bridegroom that does not sacrifice us at the altar of convenience, at the altar of success, at the altar of another suitor. He loves us wholly, and he gives himself toward us. He doesn't sacrifice us. Instead, he sacrifices himself for us. Let us remain in that warm embrace of Christ's love this morning. And in this Father's Day, let us remember that as we see Christ, we see our perfect Heavenly Father. What is the Heavenly Father's like? It is like this. Greater man hath no man than this, than a, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Christ does not sacrifice us, but he sacrifices himself in our stead. In that, we see the love of Christ, and ultimately, we see the motivation of the Father, who it says, for God so loved the world. He didn't love just Israel. He loved you. And in this Father's Day, I want you to feel the warm embrace of Christ and our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, we have felt the warm embrace of your love through Christ. And thank you, Jesus, for giving up your life so that we can have life abundantly. Spirit, drive home deep into our hearts what it means to, on a daily basis, embrace this love of Christ. And Father, we thank you that you are true and that you, you are perfect. You are the type of father that we want to live with and have a relationship with. We thank you, Lord, that ultimately our earthly uh, fathers ultimately point to you as our heavenly father. Lord, we thank you for your life that you give. Thank you for the love 
that we embrace. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.